change gears, and I want to ask you at this point to, uh, to take your Bible, please, and uh, turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 9, or your phone, navigate your way there, your tablet. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, there are some provided for you in this, uh, uh, the seat the seats in front of you or even below you. And, uh, and then if you don't have a Bible, and would, like if you don't have a Bible, you know, you are certainly welcome to take one of those as uh, our gift to you. That would, be, uh, that would be our pleasure. We come to a piece of uh, scripture this morning that describes the state of the church in its early years. Uh, The book of Acts is essentially a record of the early church from its meager beginnings in the city of Jerusalem to its expansion into the reaches of the known world. And though it faced opposition at nearly every turn, the church continued to grow and advance the good news of Jesus Christ. And chapter 9 provides a perfect example of this. The chapter begins with a man named Saul who was ravaging the church, moving from place to place and house to house. He was literally, he was tracking down men and women who had come to faith in Jesus. He was arresting them and throwing them into prison and even approving of their execution. In fact, Saul, at the beginning of chapter 9, was authorized by the leaders in Jerusalem to go to the neighboring city of Damascus and bring back in chains anyone who followed the way of Jesus. But by the middle of chapter 9, to everyone's surprise, Saul had begun to follow Christ as well. The great persecutor of the church had become a member in the church and one of its greatest proponents in all of church history. And this pattern of church growth and expansion in the face of fierce opposition is consistent throughout the book of Acts. And yet peppered here and there are seasons of peace, like the one we read about in today's text. Our text today, just one verse... Uh, continues along this theme of church growth. But here it occurs, not when facing opposition, but rather during a time of peace. For the secret behind, hear this church, the secret behind such growth is not found in the circumstances surrounding the church, but in the lives of the people within. I want you to hear that again. The secret behind church growth is not found in the circumstances surrounding the church, but in the lives of the people within. And so let's read this verse. You can follow along with me. Just one verse this morning, Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Again, Acts 9, Saul is ravaging the church. Saul meets Jesus. Jesus sends Ananias to Saul. Saul becomes a Christian. He's baptized in the Lord. And he begins to preach and teach in the name of Jesus. And now uh, his former friends and associates are attacking him. 
He moves from Damascus to Jerusalem and there after him there also. And then finally the, the church sends Saul to his hometown of Tarsus. And we come to verse 31, which says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Our Father, we want to thank you for the morning. Thank you again for the gift of your word and for our time in it today. Thank you for the truth of your word and how even here, even in just one verse, even in just two very brief sentences and really in just a couple of key words here and there, how you have provided us instruction that literally can set the course of our lives and keep us on that right path. And so this morning, as we consider this, would you please speak to us yet again and give us hearts to receive all that you'd have for us both as a church collectively and each one of us individually. May you do this for the glory of your name and for the good of people everywhere, including those inside and outside the church. May Jesus Christ be praised in our lives today and always. Amen. Here in this single verse, we learn how the people of the church were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the word walking implies continual movement, right? Continual movement and suggests that this was their norm. This was their everyday routine. This is how they live their lives. So when you think about your walk with God, these two things, the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit should serve as guides to help you remain on, on that right path. I want to begin with the fear of the Lord. In Scripture, this, this refers to how a person reveres God, to how he or she admires, honors and holds God in high esteem. In other words, it gets to what we believe about God and what we do in response to what we believe. The actual word for fear in this verse is phobos, from which we get the very familiar word phobia. Now, some of the most common phobias include arachnophobia, fear of spiders, uh, ophidiophobia, fear of snakes. I have a mild case of that. Acrophobia, fear of heights. Trypanophobia, fear of injections or needles. And glossophobia, fear of public speaking. Some of the more unusual ones include pagonophobia, fear of beards, 
globophobia, fear of balloons, and phobophobia, fear of fear. Whatever the case, when we think of phobias, we typically, don't we, we typically associate them with things that terrify us. So the word itself means fear. And when used in Scripture, it refers to a healthy fear, an appropriate fear, a reverential response to God, a response that's filled with a deep sense of awe. Let all the earth fear the Lord, read Psalm 33, 8, and stand in awe of Him. When I was in Zambia last summer, I was sharing with our friend, most of us know him, our friend Moffat Zimba, uh, about how much I wanted, and I did, how much I wanted to see an African lion in its natural habitat. We were sharing afternoon tea, because apparently that's what you do in Zambia, Roybo's tea, to be exact, when Moffat shared with me and my daughter Abby about one of his encounters with a lion. He was in the front seat of a parked Jeep when out from nowhere, two 400-plus-pound male lions came out from the bush and walked directly in front of their vehicle. Now, Understand that the hood of a Jeep is not very big. And that most of these vehicles do not have doors or tops. So you are essentially out in the open and one with the wild. And realize also that Moffat is an African who grew up in the African bush and he is a large man. But upon seeing these two impressive creatures just a few feet away, he immediately felt incredibly small. And if that wasn't intense enough, Moffat then told us how these two lions, each one supporting that full mane, came around the front of the Jeep, and I kid you not, stood at the opening of where the car door would typically be. Now they were no longer a few feet away. They were mere inches away from our dear brother Moffat. And he was absolutely paralyzed. Even if he wanted to move, he said, his body would not comply. <laughs> and after an eternity-sized minute, the, the kind that seems to last forever, the lions turned and sauntered off about 15 feet, and then they turned again, he said, and for the first time they looked him in the eye. And he could not return the gaze. He described to us how the power and sense of absolute authority in their eyes sent chills down his spine, and instinctively he turned away. Instinctively, he just turned away. 
So finally, they had established their dominance, and apparently because they weren't hungry at that particular moment, they turned once more and continued on their way. Now, church, Abby and I did not see any lions last summer. But you should know, true story, you should know that Moffat has promised me, promised me, that if I ever go back to Zambia, he will personally escort me out into the bush to find some. The point is this. Moffat described that moment as being one of the most awesome moments he has ever experienced and one of the most absolutely terrifying moments he has ever experienced. And if that's how we respond to an African lion, to a mere creature, albeit a very powerful one, how much more awesome is the Creator Himself? God's greatness is unmatched, He is all powerful. And He can do whatever He pleases at any time. God is all-knowing. He knows all things, not only as it unfolds in real time. He also knows the end from the beginning and everything in between. Last Wednesday night when we heard from, uh, there were about 15 of us who gathered to hear from Oliver and Carissa Howman about their ministry in Cameroon. They spoke about God has a helicopter view of things, how he sees all things at once and knows everything about everything. That God is all-knowing, think through this with me, that God is all-knowing and all-powerful can seem like a terrifying proposition because you can't hide from Him or withstand His might. And if this is all we knew of God, we would walk, I think, in constant dread of Him. And yet this isn't all we know. We know that God is all-loving as well. That He is love. In other words, hear this, church. The one who knows all things and can do whatever He pleases comes to us with love in His heart. Not to terrify us, but to perfect us in love. And is this not reason enough to revere Him, to honor Him, to hold Him in high esteem, of course it is. So, church, be in awe of God this morning. Be in awe of God this week. Be in awe of God when, when things are going well. Be in awe of God when they aren't, at least in your estimation. Uh, the encouragement here is to make it your daily practice to pause and consider who God is and who you are by comparison and how He responds to you in love. Psalm 118 verse 4 urges, 
Let those who fear the Lord say His steadfast love endures forever. You see, our brother Moffat may have encountered a 400-pound lion that day, but church, every single day, you and I walk with the Lion of Judah, who isn't merely king of the jungle, but Lord of all. We grow in the fear of the Lord as we begin to understand who He is and what He's all about, which brings us to another point of application that involves obeying His commands. Moses once asked the people of old, What does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all His ways, to love Him to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. You see, church, God's commandments are like divine prescriptions meant for our good, like a doctor who genuinely cares for our well-being. God prescribes His commandments with our good in mind. But we mustn't be like the patient who receives a prescription and yet never fills it or does anything with it. Because it's not enough to merely know what God says. Uh, We must do what He prescribes if we're to grow healthier in the Lord. Have you noticed, I'm sure you probably have, have you noticed that more people in church circles are beginning to use the term Christ follower or follower of Christ instead of the word Christian? I think it's a necessary clarification because in our day it seems that a person can claim to be a Christian without actually obeying Christ. And something's wrong with this picture. It should not be this way because obedience to God as portrayed in the Bible is an act of love and admiration, not mere conformity to rules or regulations. And love as the Bible defines it, always esteems and honors its object. So to all the men, to all the men, I want to talk to the men in the room, to all the men this morning, raise your hands for me, to all the men, God says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Men, do you want to be blessed by God? Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and greatly delights in his commandments. To all the women in the room this morning, raise your hand for me. To all the women, God says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. To to all people everywhere, God says, Blessed is everyone who walks, who fears the Lord and walks in His ways. 
we cannot separate the fear of the Lord from keeping His commandments. The two are one and the same. Here is the conclusion of the matter, King Solomon once said. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all humankind. The people then, in verse 31, they were walking in the fear of the Lord, and secondly, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit as well. In the paraclesis of the Spirit. Para meaning alongside, kaleo meaning called. The Holy Spirit is thus called to come alongside those of us who trust and follow Jesus. In John 14, just before his crucifixion, Jesus said to his disciples, and thus by extension he says to us, If you love me, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. And with this, Jesus was saying that the Spirit's help in our lives is very practical and, and very personal and, 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 and very permanent. The, the Spirit helps us to obey Jesus and keeps, keep his commandment. The Spirit helps us. And after all, isn't, this, isn't it by the ministry of the Holy Spirit that you have entered into a relationship with Jesus in the first place? Was it not the Holy Spirit who awakened you to the reality of Jesus Christ. He awakened you to the reality of who you were without Christ, lost in your sinfulness and refusal of God, estranged from God, condemned as a transgressor of God's law, and therefore deserving of just consequence. But then, uh, by God's grace, the Spirit of God awakened you to another reality that Jesus seeks and saves the lost, that Jesus bore your sins in your place and Jesus brings you back to God. The Spirit revealed to you that you can be forgiven in Christ, you can be reconciled to God, that you can be made righteous in Christ and you, even you, can stand before God without even a hint of condemnation. That Christ, that in Christ there is eternal and abundant life through the abundance of God's great love. In those initial moments, think back to those moments. In those initial moments, your eyes were opened to the beauty and wonder of Jesus as never before. And you begin to love, didn't you? You begin to love what you once didn't. Because the Holy Spirit came to you and He helped you and He did for you what you could never do for yourself. You were spiritually reborn and made new in Christ. With the help of the Holy Spirit, you confessed Jesus as Lord and by the Spirit you continue walking in the fear of the Lord to this very day. In other words, your walk, hear this, your walk with Jesus and the keeping of His commands owes to the Spirit's keeping of you. 
The comfort of the Holy Spirit is very practical in this way and also very personal. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you. Not another helper of a different kind, but of the same kind and quality. A helper just like Jesus, but different, distinct from Jesus. Just as Jesus is sent from God and and yet one with God and, and therefore is God, so is this helper, the Holy Spirit, of whom Jesus speaks. And, and, he, and he dwells with you, Jesus said, and he will be in you. In, in you. Which means that God's Spirit resides personally in the hearts of those who follow Christ, and he helps them from within. And therefore, all three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, are personally, personally involved in your life. Personally involved in your life. In fact, the Holy Spirit is essentially renovating your heart making it God's home. You've seen, those, you've seen those home makeover shows. Property Brothers or Fixer Upper or whatever your home show of choice is. You've probably done improvements in your own home and what's so appealing about those shows and about home improvements in general is the transformation that takes place before your very eyes. From demo day to the final reveal, a dramatic change occurs as a worn-out house essentially becomes a brand new home. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. God renovates your heart as you walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's all very personal to you. Not only practical and personal, but The comfort of the Holy Spirit is also permanent. By the grace of God, your life in Christ is everlasting and the the Spirit Himself is your guarantee. Uh, Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 1 that when you came to faith in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your eternal inheritance until you acquire possession of it. And Jesus makes the same point when he says in John 14 that the Holy Spirit is to be with you forever. Church, you need to know, you do know, you need to be reminded that this wasn't always the case. Before Pentecost, when the Spirit came to indwell each believer permanently, His ministry was much more selective. 
He would come upon specific people at specific times for a specific purpose, and then he would depart from them as well. He would come and he would go. In 1 Samuel 11, for example, the Spirit of the Lord came upon King Saul when he battled the Ammonites, but later that same Holy Spirit departed from Saul. The Spirit likewise came upon David, we're told, and was with David as David ascended to the throne of Israel. But do you remember, this is so important, it gives us such insight into the hearts of the people at that time. Do you remember David's prayer years later after his affair with Bathsheba? It was in that penitent prayer of Psalm 51 when he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And here it is. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Why would David pray in that way? Because the people at that time knew that the presence of the Holy Spirit was not a given. The help and comfort of the Spirit in your life was not a given. They knew how the Spirit was a gift from God not to be taken for granted. David had sinned against God and knew that he'd grieved God, so he pleaded with God to not remove the Holy Spirit from him. So on that night, prior to his crucifixion, when Jesus assured his disciples of the Spirit's continual presence in their lives, that was groundbreaking news to them. And it's just as groundbreaking today. Jesus promised the Spirit, not just for a moment or a mere season in life. And so when the Spirit arrived in your life, He came to stay. It's all very comforting, isn't it? Be comforted by these things. Isn't it comforting to know That the Spirit helps you obey Christ. The Spirit helps you obey Christ and keep His commandments. The Spirit is in you and is renovating your heart. The Holy Spirit is with you always and forever. It's very comforting, is it not? And so they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of of the Holy Spirit. Local congregations throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria uh, and their neighboring communities, those neighboring regions were being affected in in positive ways. The the churches, the, the local congregation and the church itself was being built up from within while also multiplying in number as as more of the lost were being reached in Christ's name. And so here what we have here in verse 31 is the church at one and the same time is being edified. It's being edified, strengthened from within, and it is expanding. Verse 
in business. In business, people talk about their secret sauce. That thing that sets them apart from the competition. Sets them apart from everyone else. What is their secret to success and growth? Everyone wonders. And these conversations occur in church circles also. As church members everywhere are looking for the right formula to grow their congregations. Hardly a week goes by, I've shared this with you before, hardly a week goes by, no kidding, when I'm not solicited by emails, websites, advertisements in Christian journals on how to grow your church. Seminars and and conferences are, uh, that promise answers are offered all over the country and are available at almost any time of the year. I'm sure, I don't know this, but I'm, I'm nearly certain that if I wanted to, I could find a seminar on church growth happening somewhere in the country this week. And none of these things, I, would, I don't want you to mishear me, none of these things are inherently wrong. And certainly a, a helpful tip here and there can, can make a huge difference. Hearing from one another's experience can be very helpful, encouraging one another by reminding each other of what the church is and why it exists is all very good. Here at East Parkway, we are building community for the cause of Christ. That's our mission statement. Our vision, as you've recently heard, is to reach people of Tree Lake Village and beyond, to reach the people of this neighborhood and beyond, to make followers of Jesus from one generation to another, uh, not just people of this age or this season of life or this age or this or this age, but generations of people from one generation to another together weekly for dynamic Christ-centered worship and to support and care for one another throughout the week. The board has shared these things with you uh, even recently at our vision meeting and, and we want these things, we do, we want these things to become part of the culture here at East Parkway. We do. But when all is said and done, when all is said and done, it still comes down to how each one of us chooses to walk with God each day. Because at the end of the day, the real secret to church growth from within and from without is when its people are living in that space between the fear of the Lord on one hand and the comfort of the Holy Spirit on the other. When we, when we, each one of us as individual followers of Christ, when we live and walk in that reality, in that space, that's when we're in the midst of something special. 
That's exactly where God wants us to be. So may you be awed again this morning by who God is and who you are and who you are in Christ. And may you gladly keep his commandments. by walking in step with the Holy Spirit to the edification, the strengthening, the building up of the church and to the continual expansion of its ministry. Amen. God, thank you for our time. May each one of us be gripped by these realities. May you help us to walk in the fear of the Lord. May you help us to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and find great peace and joy and contentment and purpose in that space between these two truths. May you do that for us here as a local congregation here at East Parkway Church. And may you do that for all for the church, for, for all uh, local congregations together here in this region and beyond, even to the far reaches of the world. May we, may we find and live in that, that peace that you promise as we walk with Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.